Hello everyone, my name is Chris Cato. Welcome back to the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. So glad to have you along for episode 115, where we're going to be recapping the 2021 Italian Grand Prix, or podcast coming a couple of days removed from this past race. A little bit lazier than usual, but being such a dramatic race and an emotional race, I think this is an actual good opportunity. Everybody's calmed down a little bit, and we can see through things very rationally and objectively. So very excited to break it down here for you guys. Just as a quick reminder, our podcast is sponsored by our friends over at thegpbox.com. You can head now down into the video description or the podcast description down below, and you'll find some exclusive discount codes from the world's leading motorsport marketplace website, some really cool F1 merchandise and memorabilia on sale. And you guys got some exclusive discounts from our friends at the GP box. So check those out down below. So to help me break down all the action from a crazy Italian Grand Prix, pleased to have one of my co-hosts here alongside me tonight, Tyler McDonald. Let's bring him in now. Tyler, good evening to you. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Chris. Yeah, fun race in Italy. A nice result and someone I think everyone wanted to see come out as a winner in Daniel Ricciardo. Um, of course, Lando was right there too, and there's a lot of Lando fans as well that wanted to see him get his first victory. But I think all in all, uh, a nice race and a result that I think everyone can be very happy with in the end. It certainly was. And of course, whether you're a Verstappen fan or a Hamilton fan, the 2021 championship is somehow still a big story after <laughs> a crazy race in which Daniel Ricciardo won, but certainly not to be overshadowed. Uh, it was McLaren's first victory in about nine years, I believe. And actually, interesting stat as well. This was the first 1-2 finish of 2021, if you can believe it. Yeah, who would have thought? And I think it's McLaren's first one-two finish since uh, 2011 in Canada. Is it 2011? I could be I wrong. I mean, 20... Maybe 2009. I think it was 2010, actually. I just 2010? saw that. Yeah, but I think you're in oh. the ballpark, yeah. Yeah, somewhere in there is a <laughs> Hamilton button one-two in Canada. Um, but really impressive for McLaren to have the first one-two of the season. Of course, we're used to seeing Mercedes or Red Bull have one of those uh some point in the year. But no, it was McLaren in this case, so awesome to see for them. They deserve it after all their hard work and uh, the tough spell they went through at the you know start of the V6 turbo hybrid era uh, with, with all their issues. Uh, but it's nice to see them finally get to uh, reap their rewards of all the hard work. Yeah, no kidding. It's been an extremely long road, but massive congratulations goes out to McLaren and also Daniel Ricciardo, who had his fair share of struggles throughout this season. Now we're going to get to McLaren, Lando Norris, and Daniel Ricciardo in just a little bit of time. But of course, we have to start off the podcast (laughs) by breaking down another massive incident between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen that is going to affect the championship. Two sprint races this year, two big Hamilton Verstappen accidents. So I guess the sprint format is working from that standpoint. Yeah, what was Crofty saying? Uh, I think it was Crofty who was saying... uh... We're getting used to a pattern, and Verstappen wins a sprint race, and then they crash on the Sunday. I don't know if that was uh, if that was Crofter, if that was someone else uh, that said it, but it was pretty uh, pretty funny. I thought it's it's accurate. It's happened twice now. Totally, he's right on the money. So we, we should expect another one happening in Brazil a little bit later <laughs> on this season, but who knows? Um, so let's start by by breaking down this incident and of course everybody's going to have their opinion and just like it was in great britain it's been pretty toxic between the two fan bases but let me start off with you tyler just 
I'll maybe get your initial impressions of the accident, what your reaction was when you were watching it live, and then we're going to get into breaking down the incident, and like we did at Silverstone, I'll let you kind of go through your opinions as well. So if you are listening on a podcast uh, platform, you can maybe head over to our YouTube channel, The Backmarkers F1 Show, and you'll be able to see us actually break down the footage as well if you are just a regular listener. So what did you think initially when you saw the accident, and have maybe your opinions changed in a couple of days' time? Um, I don't think my opinions have changed since I've seen the accident. Uh, My first thought was, what a weird collision. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I wasn't expecting the cars to maybe react that way to being collided. But of course, the back tires colliding can always lead to some uh, wild, you know, wild scenarios of cars going everywhere. So I'm glad to see Lewis is okay after the tire came crashing down on his head. Um, He did say his neck was sore in the the post-race interviews which i mean i don't blame them it probably got compressed after a car landed on it um but great to see the halo and what it did to um protect lewis hamilton as much as it could in that scenario uh, you know i know the tire still made contact with his head but it probably would have been a lot worse if the halo wasn't there so again we're seeing why these safety innovations are there and you know a lot of it is to thank because of jules bianchi and um it's unfortunate that we have to thank him for um, the sacrifice that he made, but his sacrifices saved uh, multiple F1 drivers in the last uh, five five years. That uh, well, four or five years. That they Other than that, going into the actual collision, you can say you know, who was to blame. I don't think any of them were to blame. I think they each had a part in it. But I don't think there's one side that you can blame more than the other. I mean, um, Max probably should have backed out of that scenario, saw that Lewis was closing him in, and maybe Lewis could have left him more room, and I think should have left him more room. But I also think Max had the uh, option to bail out to the left, and a lot of people are saying that. And I was listening to Paul DeResta, and he made a really good point, Chris. And I know I'm rambling on here, um, but he was talking about how he would have made the same move as Max did because there was a hole there for Max to attack um, into the second half of, of the chicane and it closed very quickly on him. And he said, you know, you're not a real racer if you're not going for it and Max is an aggressive driver. And, you know, I, I agreed to that statement and I agreed with a lot with Paul DeResta was saying. He brought up a lot of really good points. But I'm just thinking if roles were reversed and Hamilton was on the inside and Verstappen was on the outside and doing the exact same move, I know Hamilton's experience and why the wise head on him thinking about the championship at all times, he would have bailed out to the left and avoided the collision for both of them and continued on. So I just wonder if that's maybe a lack of experience or a lack of championship experience on Verstappen's part. Um, but at the same time, everything's happening, you know, in split second, split second decisions. And it's, it's a tough, it's a tough scenario between two drivers fighting for a championship so those are my thoughts initially. I think um, maybe we'll get to the penalty in a second, but mm. you know, I, I think it was a racing incident. Both drivers were equally at fault. Uh, they both suffered the same consequences out of the race. And all in all, I think it evens out in the end. Uh, what are your thoughts, Chris? 
Yeah, no, very good explanation. And I, I don't mind the the rambling because I was really <laughs> curious to hear uh, what you had to say. And I know we kind of had some disagreements on the last incident. Mm. But uh, no, I, I think I, I would agree with some of the things that you said there. For me, initial reaction was obviously just kind of, you know, head, head, head on your head or hands on your head saying, oh, my God, I can't yeah. believe this happened again. And, I had that too. <laughs> yeah, no, because I was thinking about how crazy everything happened to get us to that moment. Like when you mm -hmm. think of everything that happened throughout the weekend, Verstappen and Hamilton were never actually really close to each other with starting, you know, first and then starting fourth. And then they were close in turn four on lap one. And then Hamilton lost out, Norris got by him, and you thought, okay, that's about all that we're going to see. And then the incredibly slow pit stop from Red Bull, 11 seconds. Then you also had the slow pit stop from Mercedes, 4.2 seconds around there. It's just, think of all the things that went that way to get them to be that close heading into turn one. Like a second here or there, and we would never would have had it. And the, I, always, I still i am not sure why they pitted Hamilton there. Like I, I'm trying to run through my head. It, was it just to get out in front of Verstappen and be safe to that? Or like I thought he was just going to stay out a lot longer on those tires, because um, he I had the hards on. So it was. I would just didn't expect him to come into the pits. I know I was watching on um, our local Canadian feed, and it was in commercial when <laughs> when that all this happened. So it was like trying to break down on a small screen and see what was going on. But I, I was confused. I didn't think Hamilton was going to come in for that. I think that was from what I was hearing on the team radio that that was the excuse or sorry not the excuse the explanation that they were trying to cover off Hamilton and that was the other thing too is I think they were busy replaying Max's pit yeah. stop because you know sometimes they'll have the AWS mm. graphics of battle forecast or whatever but even the commentators on Sky F1 didn't really realize just how close the two were going to be until they went to the shot of Hamilton coming out of the pits and then you look is like oh that's the McLaren of Norris and you're like oh that's Verstappen right behind him here we go and then of course yeah the incident happened so they kind of I don't think anybody really expected them to be that close but it was just kind of interesting just how you know the whatever the energy is out there in the world brought them together basically like a <laughs> magnet into turn one so now getting to to my thoughts on the accident yeah I would I would say that this incident was more of a 50-50 than Silverstone was, in, in my opinion. But actually, if you had to give blame to one driver, and I think the stewards were in this position where they had to put the blame on one driver, I would put it on Max, actually. And I know people are going to be shocked because this was a Max Verstappen fan channel after the first incident, but I, I do believe Max was the aggressor going into turn one. So yeah, just looking at the incident, I think that Max saw the opportunity and he went for it, right? We know that this is what he's going to do. He's He is an aggressive driver, but I, I wanted to, before we, we're going to go into analyzing the incident, but I wanted to basically piggyback off of what you were saying about how if Lewis was in that same position, he would back out to be more reasonable for the championship. And, and see, this is where I kind of I disagree with that. And I say that I think Hamilton has changed his style a little bit if we go back to the Silverstone crash, because I see this as a copy I see that Hamilton was in that position where Max was in this position at Monza where he he needed to get in front of his championship rival at all costs. And if that meant we're going to crash, then we're going to crash. I don't think either driver in both scenarios in the UK and here in Italy did this on purpose. But I think that both drivers saw that they really needed to get ahead of their championship rival or else they're going to lose ground. And they just said, I'm not backing out and I'm just going to go for it like Hamilton did at Cops at Silverstone and just like Max did here in Monza. And I also think that this accident was really exacerbated by that sausage curb. 
I really don't think that this is actually that big of an incident, in, in my opinion. I think that sausage curve really is what made this dramatic, where it launched Max up into the air. And it was really just the way that he hit it, because other drivers ran over it throughout the weekend. And in past years, it was really just the way that he hit it, that it just launched Max up. Because when you look at Verstappen's onboards, he was keeping a nice racing line uh, onto the outside. You know, it wasn't really out of control or anything. He was in control. It was just he ran out of room and then hit the curb in the perfect way and then launched him over Lewis. Yeah, I would agree 100% with that sausage curve being uh, maybe just as equally as fault as everything as the other two drivers uh, in the incident. Because um, it did launch Max all four wheels up into the air. And that's what led the back tires of, of Hamilton and, and Verstappen uh, colliding and, and you know, Verstappen going up over the top of Lewis Hamilton. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what they make of that sausage curve for next year. Um, or, or of the future. I know the drivers hate those sausage curbs, but I mean, you have to be penalized somehow um, for you know getting the corner wrong. Uh, we've seen the, the curves be an issue before at some tracks and they've removed them um, or, you know, they've been an issue and they've just kept them there. So, be, you know, I used to love those driver meeting videos. Yeah. They did like, <laughs> they did like three or four of them and they were awesome. But uh, I know. Imagine them now. Oh, it'd be wild. <laughs> but I know they haven't done that in a while because I would love to hear what, the driver's opinions are on those sausage curbs. Um, yeah, I don't know. You, you, it's it's tough to decide, in my opinion, to have a blame on someone. Like I, I, I understand your point from Max being at fault there uh, more than Lewis, but it's tough to say. I, I just, I think it's so close between the two of them. I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you could have pros and cons on each side, in my opinion, and you could you know, say that, well, this person couldn't have done this, this person couldn't have done that. And we wouldn't have had this incident. I mean, it goes back, like you said, to everything that's happened, you know, Max is slow stop Lewis. If he gets released a second earlier, this, this incident doesn't happen. So a lot of things to that come like that, that came like, like accumulated, cumulative, I don't know, uh, into this incident happening. But I think what fans can see as maybe a positive out of it is that it didn't affect the championship at all. Um, you know, we didn't see one driver get a, an advantage over another driver during this incident. And I think that's a key thing to take out of this because we can go, okay, wash, this race is done. And now we move on to the next race. No one got an advantage. Um, you know, Max has to come up from three places in Russia, which is unfortunate for him. Um, but he's more than capable of redeeming himself. And but I'm sure Rebel will have a strategy for that race to try and overcut some or overcut or undercut some drivers and get up the grid a little bit more to fight Hamilton. And of course, we don't want to see these two crashing all the time and mm. putting each other in dangerous situations. Like, you know, glad that they're both okay after their respective incidents, both in Great Britain and here as well. So we don't want to see that. But I think you're right. I think it is a positive that championship kind of got neutralized after this really the advantage goes to Verstappen and Red Bull who ultimately gained two points uh, you know over the weekend with uh, the sprint qualifying results so that's that but I would agree with you too I mean I would have been okay if they would have said both drivers are equally to blame and we're not going to give a penalty I think like we saw though in their first accident they wanted to lay blame on one driver even if they thought it was 
a 50-50 racing incident. And in this case, I understand why they did it. My initial reaction to the penalty was, oh, that's ridiculous. I can't believe they did that. And then as a couple of days went on and I looked at it, I said, okay, I understand why they did it. And I think that in that case, I don't think Lewis Hamilton did anything wrong. I don't think Max Verstappen did anything wrong either. I just see it as two world championship contenders. We could almost say bitter world championship contenders. <laughs> fighting over the same piece of track and not refusing to give an advantage. And I don't have a problem with Verstappen's style. I know some people are saying, well, he should have backed out. You know, think of the championship. I don't think he'll be able to beat Hamilton if he thinks like that. I think he has to go for it. And if at the end of the year he looks back and says, you know, I lost points with the crash in Monza and in Silverstone, but I was going for it. I don't think he'd be able to live with himself if at the end of the checkered flag in Abu Dhabi, he looks back and said, mm, you know, when I backed off there in Monza, I, I, I maybe should have went for it. I, Verstappen doesn't strike me as that type of driver. He's going to push to the maximum. And if that sometimes means, you know, crashing or making a mistake here or there, he'll do that. And honestly, I think we're seeing Lewis do it as well. I think Lewis isn't backing down either because he knows that he can't, he knows Verstappen's not going to back down. So yeah. Hamilton's now matching that as well. So it's... Any other two drivers, that wouldn't have happened. But because this is a championship fight, we're going to expect these things to come. Yeah, no, that, that's a really good point, Chris. And like you said, Max is that aggressive driver. Um, I do want to mention something that bothered me um, during the post-race, and that was and that was Damon Hill's comments. Mm. And I respect Damon Hill, and he's a world-class driver, obviously. And, and um, you know, he's a very good commentator and uh, you know, a legendary driver. But I, I really don't agree with the comments he made after the race where he suggested that Max did this as a, uh, if you watch soccer, professional foul, uh, <laughs> he called it, as in, you know, taking Lewis out to make sure he doesn't get any more points, you know, up on him because he thought he was going to get by. And I don't think that's the, that was the right comment to make because I don't think Max would do that. I don't think that's what his intention was at all. Um, and yeah, I, I it bothered me that he suggested that that he was taking Lewis out on purpose um, because Max doesn't seem like that guy and I don't think this championship needs to be tainted on the fact um, of a suggestion that someone took someone else out on purpose because I don't think that's the case with either of these drivers I don't think Lewis did that on purpose in Silverstone and I don't think Max you know went up and, and tried to, to get a position on purpose Um in in Monza here so yeah that did bother me that he made those comments and I'm not sure if, I, if there was anything else I know he talked he said that to Christian Horner and I, I don't Horner's reaction was pretty like it was pretty subdued I thought he was going to lose it on on Hill I know I would have if I was in his position but <laughs> I think Horner's kind of dodged the question which I would have done too because there was nothing really good to say there because you know I yeah it's it's a, it's a wild accusation to just to put that onto someone so anyways I, I disagree with, with his comments and I'm not sure what you know if he said anything else after that he doesn't suggest those comments again well said I 100% I agree with you and you know it was the same thing with the first accident right saying oh you know Hamilton like th these drivers don't think that way and yeah. I was watching the Driver 61 breakdown by Scott Mansell on his YouTube channel, and I mm. thought he, he did another fantastic analysis. And he said, too, like, drivers don't think that way. Like, they're making decisions in milliseconds, tenths of a second. They're not thinking, I'm going to take him out purposely right now. It's just they see a gap, they react to it, and they go for it. 
and what happens happens. So I think it's more of a case of both drivers just did not want to give up their position on the track instead of one or the other doing it on purpose. So I'm glad that you you called that out. I would also have to call out uh, another legend in F1, which was Jackie Stewart. I don't know if you saw his comments post-race, or I think it was actually just in the last couple of days, where he said Max was immature or not matured enough yet because of the fact that he didn't check on Lewis after the accident. But And I've been seeing this being made into a much bigger story than it needs to be. It's very clear from the video footage when Max got out of his car, he looked over to Hamilton, saw that he was trying to select reverse gear and trying to actually pull his car out of the gravel to keep going. So he saw that he was okay, he was moving, and then Verstappen decided to just walk away. So for I, me... I honestly... Sorry, Chris. I, I, no, I go ahead. thought you were done. I thought you were done. Sorry. Um, I honestly thought... I was surprised Max didn't go over there and yell at him. But I, So that's <laughs> when he looked and he saw Lewis selecting reverse. I think that's where he was like, okay, I won't bother with it because I thought he was going to go over there if there was going to be something. Uh, that was going to happen between the two of them because um, you know Max was was very infuriated after the accident, which I mean he should be, and so was Lewis. Um, yeah. But I, I, like you said, I don't think that's a, that's a topic that needs to get picked on because uh, I don't think there's anything to take out of out of that comment that Max needs to mature because so, he needs to check on Lewis. I mean, like you said, he saw Lewis was fine, so. Well, and this is where I do have to criticize sometimes the British bias that is Sky F1. And I think we're really seeing it now this year when there's actually a legitimate threat to, you know, Lewis Hamilton as a world champion. And I mean, that's fine. I know they're very proud. They're very supportive of the British drivers. But just to compare it, remember when George Russell went over to Valtteri Bottas and Imola? He didn't go over there to check on him. He went over there and tapped him on the head to say like, hey, you know, you idiot, what did you do? So, but I didn't yeah. hear very much criticism from any of the British media saying, well, you know, Russell shouldn't have done that. Imagine if Verstappen would have did that to Hamilton. Oh, my God. Uh, they would have called the United Nations for the next race in Sochi or something. <laughs> so I think that exactly like you said, it was almost better to just walk away. And I think Max even said that post-race, too. It's just like, you know what? Like, we're emotions are so high right now. It's just better to walk away. And yeah. he, he's learned from that, obviously, from in Brazil when he almost punched Esteban Ocon afterwards, <laughs> right? So I think I, that was... I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if that was a NASCAR race, there would have been some punches thrown <laughs> on not only the drivers, but the teams that have got involved. It would have been, it would have been a, a huge fisticuffs between, uh, between the two drivers. This was NASCAR, but I guess this isn't NASCAR, so. But, but we do want to see it, right? I mean, like, a we Hamilton... do want to see it. How, how about, like, remember that race so many years ago? This was the 80s, maybe, when Nelson Piquet got knocked out by a backmarker and he, like, started kicking and punching. Like, I wanted to see that. <laughs> well, like, I, I'm not saying this because, yeah, like, I endorse it or encourage it. but And, and everyone would be like, that's terrible. It's just so unsporting. But what's going to get the most views on this championship is if those two somehow went at it a little bit. And that would blow the entire sporting world through the roof and i guarantee you everyone will be watching every single race for the rest of the season if they went at it well i totally agree with you and maybe we should put a disclaimer at the bottom of the the screen uh, the back <laughs> one show does not endorse violence <laughs> but i i i think that sometimes some of the newer generation f1 fans are just i don't know the people that i see on twitter they're, they're just like too soft i mean this is motorsport at the end of the day. This is a very serious, aggressive sport, and you're going to get these heated moments. So um, 
yeah not just for like the drama or whatever but just yeah everything else just that would come from that would be so so amazing but and you know i mean we i I watched some little nascar too in my days but i remember watching even champ car and indycar back then and seeing paul tracy tackle alex tagliani yeah it's gotta be paul tracy (laughs) for people that don't know just youtube paul tracy a canadian racing legend hero and uh quite the brute force when it came to handling drivers Anchored NBCSN uh, commentator for IndyCar, which is amazing. That's right. Um, but yeah, he, he didn't want to get on Paul Tracy's bad side because he was coming out for you. And you know what? It, it was so entertaining to watch. My favorite driver growing up in IndyCar was Paul Tracy. And not only because he was Canadian, because there's other Canadians on the grid. Of course, Alex Tangliani was one of them. And mm-hmm. I still cheer for them. But I love the aggressiveness of Paul Tracy and how he didn't care what people thought of him. And he, if he thought something went wrong, he dealt with it himself. So... Um, now maybe he took it a little bit over the top sometimes um, but at the same time it was entertaining and people watched because Paul Tracy was driving but you got to respect that though right a, a yeah, driver absolutely. and a man who's going to handle his business he's not going to cry about it to the stewards or anybody else he's just going to go there and do it and, and confront yeah. him so it's, it's personally why I like Verstappen just because he has that fire that just reminds mm-hmm. me of the old school drivers but uh, yeah maybe maybe we'll get the two of them in a charity boxing match or something. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Maybe somebody needs to call the Triller Fight Club people, and then yeah. instead of a 58-year-old Evander Holyfield, we'll put Verstappen and Hamilton on. Poor Holyfield. Uh, whoever put him in that scenario should be fired. I actually think the Triller CEO stepped down, so I don't know if it's because of that or what, oh, but yeah, that was rough. Terrible. Especially terrible. like a TRT Vitor as well. I mean, it was... Oh. Yeah, disgusting. Poor yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. So we don't have to get into that. Terrible. <laughs> I don't like trailer. Trailer bothers me. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, so th- those are uh, the thoughts on that. Now, we've almost wrapped it up here, but I, I think that maybe we'll just take a look at at the crash quickly and yeah. just do a, a little bit of a breakdown. I think we've pretty much um, broken it down fairly well, and uh, people know our opinions. Uh, and of course, you know, let us know your thoughts on on the crash itself and and the penalty afterwards. But you know, so let's start here, of course, and and I just got to say the the photos and, and the videos from this are, are just iconic. They're going to come to define this championship. Oh, yeah. But so here we go. This is the view from Max Verstappen's car. So this is why I think the stewards ultimately made the decision that it was more more blame on Verstappen's behalf, because you can see just how far back he was. But fresh tires up to optimal temperature. He was just releasing a little bit more brake pressure to go on the outside of Lewis. And then this is where the curb comes into play, and it was all over from there. <laughs> I mean, you can see how fast it happens too, right? Like, yeah. it, it's hard to react on what's going on. What's going on. And um, I mean, Lewis gives him just enough space on the outside and, it, you know, maybe not enough space there. Um, it's it's so hard to break down. I mean, like, look, there's a gap there, then there isn't, right? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's what, this is what Paul DeRest was breaking down in this scenario too, was um, maybe if you stop it, so keep going. So if you go slow, gap, gap, gap. So stop right there. There's still a gap right there. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, there's a gap where you can put a car there and still be able to make a pass. Now, if you go like two frames forward, there's not a gap there, right? And that's just because Lewis has just closed him down just a little bit more uh, than maybe he should have in my opinion. Uh, I think they could have gone too abreast there, and that's when the curb comes into the to factor and they crash. 
it's actually very interesting because I'm just scrolling. I was looking for this video and I just wanted to, because uh, there's a lot of similar incidents. Verstappen and Massa in 2017 was very similar, but they ended out a different in- outcome. Here's kind of a, a good example of how to race side by side going into turn one. This was in the 2018 race. And you see Raikkonen and Hamilton didn't come together. This was very, very close now, and narrow. The biggest difference there, though, Chris, is that if you go back right here, Hamilton's ahead. Mm, good point. And if you go to our incident this past weekend and you go to that scenario, Verstappen is not ahead. Right. He's alongside, but he's not. he doesn't have that nose ahead. And I think that's the biggest difference between the two incidents because at that point, Raikkonen has to give Hamilton that corner because he's he's there. He's on the inside. He's got, you know, the room to, um, like he, he there's no backing out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, where in the Max and Hamilton incident, you know, Max was alongside of him and there, and there should have been room left for him, but he wasn't entitled as much to the corner than what uh, than what Hamilton was versus Raikkonen. Yeah, you're right. And it's difficult to compare, obviously, very different circumstances. I think the one thing also just stood out just watching this is you notice kind of here Hamilton taking that wide line and you kind of notice Raikkonen just in this point maybe just opened up his steering a little bit to the right just to give more room. Yep, absolutely. If you can kind of see that. And and again, it's not to say I I think what Hamilton did was, was right and well within his right to defend that position. I think, again, this is very different, right? These two weren't fighting for a championship back in 2018 it was for the race victory but again very different circumstances to when we come down here between obviously the two title rivals now the one point that i wanted to bring out of what driver 61 was talking about and i think this was actually a really good point is when you get to this point just right about here uh, scott mansell was saying that when you look at the verstappen massa incident from a few years ago lewis could actually be just a little bit further ahead here in terms of his left front which would have meant that he would have pushed Verstappen all the way out here to the runoff. Mm. So Max would have had no option other than to use the runoff. So Hamilton actually, he did squeeze him, I, I would say that, but he actually did give him more room than he could have, or yeah. let's say should have. Um, so when you get to there, but again, I, I just think, like I said before, it was really the problem of when we got here, and then Max, I, I think he hit the sausage curb that was... We can't see it off screen here. No, it, it is that one right there. It is? Okay. Yeah, it is that orange one. Yeah, and that was really the issue. Because if you shave this off a little bit, or if you move it just a little bit further to the left, they maybe would have made contact, but you definitely wouldn't have had you know, the airborne accident. <laughs> no, they would have made that corner if that sausage curve wasn't there. But then you get into the fact of, okay, well, then everyone's just going to cut the corner a little bit more, right? So yeah, it's it's catch-22 scenario. Yeah, and then, of course, we have the really cool aerial footage, the 360 camera that uh, I'm sure many of you saw, which (laughs) is just so crazy. And you could really see here. You could see the the tire hit Hamilton's head. Yeah. Right there. Yeah, right there. Yeah, you never really realize how massive those rear tires are. Oh, it's huge. And, like, again, I don't know how how that camera didn't get destroyed. Tire just barely missed it. Yeah. Yeah, and then that was that was the aftermath of that, and I think they have Verstappen. Yeah, here we go. Oh, and I didn't Vers- know. I didn't see Verstappen's side of it. And and see, this is you know just to bring up our earlier point, you could see Lewis trying to select reverse here because in the background you'll notice he was kicking up gravel 
just yeah. right there. So, you know, that to elaborate on that point. And then this was Max's view. And up top he goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then that was it. And then he just gets out of his car. I think, I don't know if, yeah, they don't show it here. Yeah, see, looks over there, sees he's moving, and decides to walk away. So that that was the incident. And, you know, for me, honestly, a couple of days removed, it, it, just, it just makes for an even better championship than it already is. I mean, just look at the slow-mo shot from this accident. Oh. I mean, it's so cool. <laughs> it's going to be one of the shots of not only this season, but I think, you know, of this whole rivalry, this will be one of the the prime slow-mo shots that we'll see for a lot, lot or a long time and a lot of it. So, I mean, pretty wild. Absolutely. And all the photos as well, too, because in the Silverstone accident, we actually didn't even have very many photos of the incident itself just because of where the corner was and everything. But this one being a slow speed corner and turn one, it just made for like excellent, perfect photography and everything. Yeah. And I, I hope Netflix doesn't butcher this too much and add any cheesy drama because this stuff just writes itself. <laughs> yeah, the last thing we want is cheesy drama to become into, into F1. <laughs> no, 100%. So... Those are our thoughts on, on the incident. Of course, Max Verstappen does have the three-place grid penalty for Sochi in the next race for the Russian Grand Prix. We'll see if they take any engine penalties, put in a fresh engine, and maybe just take get all the pain out of the way in Russia. We'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, again, just to reiterate, I think it was predominantly a racing incident, but if I had to put my steward's hat on, I do understand the position that they're in. Not to say that I, I agree with handing out penalties for that, but I do think that this was a 50-50 racing incident. But because Verstappen was the aggressor going on the outside, I understand why the stewards handed out the penalty. And of course, because they're both out of the race, they have to do the grid penalty for the next race, right? So that's why you know there was not time penalties. You can't really compare the two between Great Britain and that one. But just to say, I don't want either driver to change the styles going on to the rest of the season. It's what makes both of them great. And at the end of the day, as much as you might be upset if you're a Lewis fan or a Max fan, it just makes it much better for the neutral F1 fans and just for the championship story as well. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to keep eyeballs on the next races coming up. And I mean, not you know, Russia is not the most exciting Grand Prix in the world, but after this, you know, people are going to watch because they're going to see what's going to happen between Max and Lewis, right? And you know, I'm not a big you know fan of the Sochi Autodrome. But I will watch the race because, well, one, I do a podcast about it. <laughs> but two, because I want to see what drama takes place between the championship contenders. Absolutely. And it should be a good one. And this is big for Formula One as well on the world stage and in the sporting stage because a lot of people are tuning in thanks to these two drivers. And I think we're in for quite the grand finale with uh, eight races to go, hopefully, if all the calendar goes to plan. All right, so yeah, we, we got through uh, about a half an hour or so, maybe even more, just on uh, the Verstappen and Hamilton incident. Not to disrespect the race winners, of course, but when the championship is so dramatic, you have to talk about it. But let's now move on to the race winner, which was Daniel Ricciardo for McLaren, his eighth win in Formula One. Congratulations to you, Mr. Ricciardo, and also to the whole McLaren team. First victory in almost over nine years. First one, two, like we mentioned, in about a decade. And you felt like this was coming after all the podiums this season, 
maybe we didn't think it was going to be Daniel Ricardo, but just an absolute fairy tale win for McLaren, and they did it on merit. Regardless of the accidents, mm-hmm. they did it on merit. I agree 100%. I think Daniel Ricardo would have won that race even if there wasn't the accident between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. He proved that his car was very quick and not very easy to pass. Verstappen can get by him for the longest time. And, I mean, uh, Lewis could even get by Lando. Um, so I don't think if either of them would have got up to Ricardo at the end of the race, I don't think either of them would have passed him. So Ricardo did win that race on lap one on merit and would have won no matter what which is amazing i mean i hope people realize that because we'll have people say oh well you know lewis and max wrote you know it's if they were in he wouldn't have won the race that's not true in this scenario he would have won that race so i hope people realize that and give daniel the respect that he deserves because i mean it's been a long time coming for him and i know we're very happy that daniel won because we you know we love his character and uh, his silliness and you know just his personality is phenomenal and, and amazing for f1 um so it's just so nice to see him win his eighth grand prix in his career and finally uh won after three long years of not being able to call himself a formula one uh, race winner it's crazy when you think about it that it's been that long since monaco in 2018 which was his last one and you kind of forget it's almost funny the way he said it too it's like he didn't leave, or how did he word it? He said, "He says I never left, and I just stepped aside for a bit." Right, right, and it's which true. Was an awesome quote. Yeah, because it is like that, right? I mean, he showed glimpses last year when he scored the podium for Renault, but this year he just struggled so much. So you kind of forgot about it. We've been talking about Norris so much, but when he was in the lead of the race, you just saw everything just return to him as it was in his Red Bull days, and you you knew once he got out in front. He's a seven, or you know, at the time was a seven-time Grand Prix winner. He knew what to do, and he knew exactly how to control that race. And he just didn't put a foot wrong from Friday all the way until Sunday. So I'm just so happy that Ricardo. I think this will be his breakthrough, hopefully, because Monza is a circuit in which he's been struggling at these types of tracks this season, in which it's heavy braking. You need a really good feel for the pedal. You can win a lot of time on the brakes, obviously at Monza going into turn one and going into the other chicanes as well. So to see him so comfortable at this circuit was some really, really good news. And of course, the McLarens were just absolutely flying. And I do have to give a shout out and credit also to Lando Norris, who played an excellent team role throughout the entire weekend, but especially in that race. Like, for a young driver like that to come onto the radio and essentially give up the race win in a way to say, okay, let's not fight, let's secure the one-two, especially when he's been the better driver this season and has been getting the bulk of the results, I thought was an incredibly mature and awesome thing to do. And I believe that it will come back to repay him later on, maybe even in the season with a race victory of his own, but definitely for the future of the team. So McLaren have something very, very strong and, and solid going on right now. They do, 100%. And, uh, you know, I don't know if people remember us saying this at the beginning of the season. We said, give Daniel Ricciardo until summer break <laughs> to get his bearings into his new team and his new car. We saw that with Renault, and I ex- we expect the same thing at McLaren. Uh, guess what happened, Chris? <laughs> After the summer break, yeah. boy, does Daniel Ricciardo win a race. And, and he, he looks a lot more comfortable in that McLaren. And I think that's exactly what it was. He just needed some time to get used to the car, get used to the brakes, uh, and get, get used to um, you know, the, the team and environment around him. So it's just awesome for Daniel. And uh, like you said, Lando 
a great team player. I know the, the message was cheeky at first, asking kind of like, can I race him if I get close is, is almost what it was. And uh, the team did say no. And he respected that, which is awesome because you can tell how good of a team him and Daniel are uh, and how well they get along and just, you know, the aura of McLaren, just a, a big team atmosphere there. So uh, his, I thought his post race comments were very mature saying, you know, I'll have races to win down the line in, in believing in himself. And he's not too worried about that. He's just happy for the team. And, you know, it's, the right words to say because uh, he will have lots of opportunity to, to win races with McLaren. So um, no, well done. And a, and a beautiful drive by Lando as well. Uh, he did a really good job of keeping uh, Valter and Sergio behind him uh, after a lot of pressure that was being placed on them. What really impressed me was that the McLarens had pace to spare as they went the fastest two laps on the last lap of the Grand Prix. Ricardo fastest and Norris, I think he was only a 10th behind him for fastest lap. So pretty impressive that they still had that pace. There you're right. That was big at the end because he did get the fastest lap. So combined, I believe uh, they scored, they, what was the points all? 26 and uh, 26 and 18. So 45 points uh, for, for the uh, maximum. 44 points. 44. Yeah. So yeah, just a massive points haul in the bigger picture, which is of course the constructors championship. But I think that maybe even Ricardo would have had more speed if Norris tried to even make an attempt, and we saw how hard it was to overtake. So I think he had his bases covered. But he was just better than than Norris all weekend long in, in the qualifying as well, or was was very close at least. I think this was probably the closest he's been to his teammate. So yeah, yeah, super super happy for him. It was just such a, a happy victory for him and for the team as well. And it's been such a long time for McLaren and we don't have to go through all the years of the struggles that they've had, but it, it was just finally nice to see it all come to fruition. So well done to Zach Brown as well. I think he deserves a lot of credit for building the team back up. And so does Andreas Seidel, um, who came yeah. in this year and has been, you know, a key impact into that team. And, you know, you can tell how happy he was and how happy Zach Brown was. They've done a phenomenal job. Uh, bringing that this program at McLaren back to where, or I shouldn't say back to where it was, but you know it definitely in the trending in the right direction to where it was. And with these 2022 regulations coming up, I, you know, I anything can happen. Of course, we could have Williams have the best car. We could have Alfa Romeo have the best car. We could have Haas have the best car. Um, we don't know because it is new regulations. But McLaren are definitely suiting themselves to be a, a high chance of having one of the top cars next season with the new regulations. So um, it's going to be awesome to see. And I, I hope that's the case. I hope they don't do 2014 and, and completely get it wrong uh, because those two drivers are phenomenal and, and we want to see them fighting for race wins. I don't think they will. I think they're on just the right track and yeah, that's an excellent point because with the way that Red Bull and Mercedes are right now having to develop all the way almost to the end of the season, you're putting a team like McLaren and Ferrari in an excellent position where, okay, yeah, third is important in the championship, but the greater outlook on 2022 and beyond is the primary focus. So this well, is a great, yeah. Sorry, I, I, like look at Haas. They haven't developed anything this yeah. year and we can tell how bad and they're kind of a meme this year. But what if they, they, you know, spending that whole year this year and the whole year, the year before and the whole off season just focusing on your 2022 car. I mean, Haas could come out and be a top 
you know, top five constructor next year. And it wouldn't surprise me just because of how much time and money they've been able to spend on the new car development due to the fact of just sacrificing this year as a wash and saying, you know what, let's just focus on 2022. We'll be you know, terrible this year, but <laughs> we're, we're not worried about that. Yeah, because look at the last big regulation change in 2014. Mercedes necessarily weren't a championship contender at the time, but they got everything right. And then, of course, they've gone on to dominate since. So I think that obviously Red Bull and Mercedes have plenty of money and resources to allocate enough you know, time and money into the 2022 project. But it's certainly a big distraction considering you're in the middle of a championship fight that all signs are pointing to will go down to the final two, three races at the very least. Yeah. So that is a big thing to, to consider. So I think that McLaren are in a very, very good position, uh, as well as Ferrari, I think, going into next season as well. So th- this was just a great result for them. Of course, Ricardo gets to drive Dale Earnhardt's uh, old uh, NASCAR as well. So he earned good on his podium bet. He actually did one better than the podium, got out the race victory. So just all in all, it was so awesome to see. And it made a, what started out as a kind of boring Italian Grand Prix made it into another memorable one, just like the last couple of years we've had some awesome Italian Grand Prix. I wouldn't rule Daniel Ricciardo out of racing a, uh, they call it Xfinity right now, which is the second tier of NASCAR, like F2. Um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. has a team in that uh, in that race, and, and really, you can have anyone enter for the most part. You, you can just show up and, and bring a car there if you have the money for it. It's a lot easier to get in than the top tier because the top tier you have to have what's called the charter and you know a right to a car. Where in the second tier, uh, you don't need a right to the car; you just need to be approved to be able to to join the race and you know qualify in the top forty. I think is what it is. Um, I wouldn't rule Daniel Ricciardo out of racing a NASCAR race either next year or the year after, because I think there could be a very good bond and relationship formed with Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Daniel Ricciardo. I think they get along really well. And I think of the connection with Zach Brown in there, I think it's quite the possibility. I know Daniel Ricciardo loves NASCAR, so I'm sure he wouldn't, uh, you know, I'm sure he would, would love to, to jump in and, and do a race. And I think he'd be you know, a lot of fun to watch there. Uh, quick pop quiz, Chris, who is the last F1 driver to, uh, I shouldn't say, because there's obviously one, uh, one Pablo Montoya mm-hmm. that, that had the long stint in NASCAR, but who was the driver before him to race in a NASCAR event? Before Montoya? Before Montoya. So it wasn't Raikkonen because he was... No, it was yeah, it was Raikkonen. Oh, it was right. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, give me Raikkonen, yeah. Because I was trying to think what what you meant by before, because I mean, one pop, but again, they are similar eras as well. So yeah, yeah. Kimi Raikkonen, yeah. It, it was a short lived, but I remember that. It was fun. I think it was two races in the truck series. <laughs> yeah, um, but phenomenal. And his post, his post race interviews are hilarious. <laughs> oh, I don't think the Americans were ready for it. No, they weren't. No, phenomenal <laughs> stuff. So if you haven't seen Kimi Raikkonen race a NASCAR race, there's some highlights of it on YouTube. I think he, one of them he crashed. And, anyways, yeah. Tough one. Yeah, legendary. But it, yeah. You, you're right. I mean, and it could be McLaren as well. They've obviously got an IndyCar partnership that's going on, but maybe they do some sort of sponsored thing with, with NASCAR as well. So I think both drivers as well. Yep. I think I see Lando doing some IndyCar in the future, maybe an Indy 500 as well. I think McLaren's got an interesting connection there with Zach Brown, like I said, the North American market and obviously the European market. So yeah, it should be interesting with, with the world of motorsports. seems more and more connected nowadays, which is nice. 
Yeah, it really does. And it, what's interesting is, like you said, the, the whole IndyCar you know, factor out of that is that you could have um, an IndyCar driver come over or you could have an F1 driver go over like what Fernando Alonso did with uh, McLaren a few years back and race the Indy 500. Um, there was, uh, oh, what was I going to mention? <laughs> oh, no. I was thinking about something I forget. Um, IndyCar related? Uh, it was IndyCar slash NASCAR related. Oh, okay. Because I was going to mention, I believe, uh, who was it? Was it Callum Eilat? Who, who yeah, did... Cameron Eilat, yes. Um, oh, Callum, Cameron, sorry, you're right. Uh, is racing next year in, in IndyCar. Mm. Or is the rest of this year? I think it's the rest th- of this year. Yeah, three more races this year with uh, Junkos. Which is awesome. He deserves yeah. a seat. He'll, he'll be phenomenal um, over there in IndyCar. I'm trying to remember what I was going to say. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I hate when that happens. <laughs> I know, and it was something good, too. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you think about it, then just will, uh, yes. inter- interrupt I'll, me at any point. I'll chime in, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that, what a great weekend for, for McLaren, and we'll see what, what they can do for the rest of this year, score another podium or maybe even a race victory. So I just wanted to move on and get to the, the end of this episode of the podcast. Just quick shout-outs to, to Valtteri Bottas, who mm. I think had a, a very excellent weekend considering it was announced he's leaving Mercedes at the end of the year. Showed great pace all weekend, got the sprint qualifying, or got the pole for sprint qualifying. Uh, eventually won the sprint race, unfortunately had the engine penalty, so couldn't hold on to it, or else he might have been able to actually win the race with the pace that he was showing. And then in the sprint race, or excuse me, in the full race, starts back from P19, storms through the field with, I don't know if it was the fresh engine or what, but he had some awesome lightning pace. And when he got after the safety car right behind Sergio Perez, it really looked like he was going to be on to win the race. And then unfortunately, just kind of stalled out. I don't know if it was just loss of tire performance, if it was the dirty air. Nonetheless, though, I think the P3 was excellent from his standpoint. I think he was a little hard done by after the race with, uh, you know, the the post-race interview asking about the Lewis and Max incident. I don't really think it's relevant to him. You know, just give him props for the drive that he did. And I know so many things happened that his result was overshadowed, but it was one of his better drives this season, if probably actually the best. I think it was his best drive this year. and He was my driver of the day. Uh, it wasn't Ricardo. I mean, Ricardo had a, he won the race, but for me, the best driver of the day was Valtteri Bottas with his phenomenal overtakes. He was cutting through cars. I mean, it was awesome to watch. And it's almost like, oh, where was that Valtteri three, four races ago? I know. Because uh, he could have kept his seat. Um, but in the end, it was just nice to see. You know, that's the skill that Valtteri has. He, you know, he has the potential there. It's just not consistent, unfortunately, for him. But he was my driver of the day and just uh, an awesome, awesome race for him to come back after. Awesome weekend, I should say. I mean, he gets fastest lap, he gets pole position and then battles back and makes up 17 positions to finish third from starting last. Yeah, it was really well-deserved and he's going to another very good track for himself, which is uh, the Sochi Autodrome. So hopefully he'll be able to do well there and hopefully win the race if he's in that position. Um, so yeah, good good drive for him. And then of course the man who replaced him as well, George Russell. Mm. Uh, the fact that George scored points in three of the last four races, yeah. the fact that that's not that much of a big story just shows you how crazy this race was. But Russell did score another good little chunk of points. And also as well, I have to think 
somebody who I was more impressed with, and you mentioned this just off camera, was Nicholas Latifi, yeah. who should have been in that position, but got a little hard done by with the safety car. I think Latifi has shown some excellent pace since we've returned from the summer break, and really seems like he's starting to move into that team leader role that's going to be expected of him for next season. But unfortunately, well, with that little bit of bad luck. Oh, yeah, the bad luck is just terrible for him because he was in a points-paying position before the safety car, and he you know, or before that whole incident rolled out, he was generally in a points-paying position. And then he pits for, does his pit stop, comes out, and then the safety car happens. And it's like, oh, man, if, if he would have just waited another two laps, he you know, would have been close to, well, he probably would have finished in George's, George's position, um, if not a you know, a position higher, um, yeah. which is unfortunate because, like you like. You said, Chris, he's been really, really good since the summer break and has really come into his own, I think. And I think both drivers are in that this car, is, they finally kind of figured out this car a little bit. Um, it's awesome to see those two do, do start doing so well. And, you know, Latifi was really close to pipping. Um, well, technically, he did out-qualify. <laughs> um, George, right. he finished higher. He did finish higher in the sprint race, which means that uh, he did out-qualify George for the first time. Uh <laughs> You know, in his two years, but um, he almost generally like he had him on uh, the actual qualifying session. He almost beat him there too, as well. So uh, he's he's finding his pace, which is awesome to see from Nicholas Latifi. And you know, we're happy to see him because he deserves a seat in F one. He's very talented, and it's nice to see him starting to finally uh, come into his own and, and really start to feel comfortable. Yeah, I'm. You know, in the next coming days, or maybe if I if I find some time, I, I'm kind of interested to do a breakdown video of the, that partnership in the last two years, just mm-hmm. to see how close it's been. I, I got a feeling that it's closer than what most people think, and just because you know George Russell is excellent over one lap, and Mr. Saturday kind of gets overlooked a little bit with Latifi, but yeah, I'll be curious maybe just to dive into a little research just to see how how close or maybe how not close the the two have been. But anyways, I, yeah, I think both of them had a really good weekend. And just kind of refreshing back on our conversation about 2022, you know, Williams could be that team, right, who's yep. in the top five constructor with the way that they're looking. I think the worst days are behind them. So they could be in that position as well. Um, just so I, who's going to be the worst team on the grid? There, there's going to be that team, right? Yeah. And it's just who's it going to be? Well, I think the hope would be that the worst team isn't as bad as this year's worst team. Right. And what I mean by that is that it's so competitive that it's a one to two point difference between, you know, 10th and 9th, but they're scoring like 10 points, 20 points, 30 points over a year instead of three or four, as we've seen in the past couple of years. That is the hope, right, for 2022 and beyond. We could get that. We might not be able to get that. But you look at a team like Alfa Romeo, Possibly they could be in that situation, which again, shout out to Robert Kubica, who had another mm. solid weekend filling in for Kimi Raikkonen. Raikkonen is going to be back for the Russian Grand Prix, but it's all up in the air. We'll find out soon enough, but yeah, somebody's got to be last, as we always say. Yeah, yeah, that's the unfortunate part of, of Formula 1, even though we don't want to see any team finish last. Someone's someone's going to be the backmarker, just like us, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're not going to be there for that long, so... That's right. That's that's what we do. Tyler, anything else that uh, you had from this race or anything uh, in the F1 world you wanted to get off your chest? There is, and I remembered what I was going to say. Oh, good. <laughs> so it came in. Uh, just going back, I, there has been F1 and NASCAR 
car swaps or driver swaps. We've seen Jeff Gordon do it with, I believe it was Juan Pablo Montoya back in the day. Um, Lewis Hamilton did one with Tony Stewart not too long ago at Watkins Glen. And in Abu Dhabi last year, I believe, uh, Jimmy Johnson, um, the seven-time world champion and, and um, short, shared record holder for championships, um, did a driver swap with Fernando Alonso. Uh, and they switched cars in Abu Dhabi. So there's partnerships there between NASCAR and IndyCar. It's happened before, but there hasn't been that full kind of, I guess, solidified partnership. And we're starting to see motorsports come together with you know Indian, IndyCar and NASCAR working a little bit more together uh, and having race weekends together, or at least one race weekend together. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, I would love to see it. It might be too jam-packed, but I would love to see all three of those series race at Circuit of Americas at the exact same time. Um, you know, you could do it over a race weekend. It'd be jam packed and, you know, you'd, you'd be fighting for TV position. <laughs> um, but if you, you know, you could have F1 qualifying on the Friday, um, you could have IndyCar qualifying on the Friday and uh, NASCAR doesn't have, well, sometimes they do practice during COVID right now. They haven't been doing practice. Um, so I would, you know, let's say they have their practice on Friday. On Saturday, um, you'd have qualifying in the morning for F1, qualifying in the afternoon for NASCAR, and you'd finish with your IndyCar race on the Saturday, mid-afternoon, let's say. And then on Sunday, you'd have your F1 race to start um, because just due to, I'd say, the, the, the TV audience over in Europe, you'd have, probably have them before. Um, you know, maybe they're the main event draw, and you have them after NASCAR. You could you could fluctuate yeah. those two around, but I think a race weekend with all three of those um, series at the same time as possible. I mean, you know, it'd be a pretty dream weekend if you're a race fan to go watch that because you could see three very different cars and and three very different styles of racing uh, all in, all in one weekend. So. Yeah, I love that idea. Just thinking of IndyCar NASCAR support races. Because if you've attended a Grand Prix, depending on where you're at in the world, you usually get, you know, Porsche Super Cup as a support race. If you're mm-hmm. lucky in Europe, you get F2, F3. You know, in Canada, usually here, it's Porsche Super Cup. Yeah, uh, Ferrari that, Challenge. Ferrari Challenge, yeah, that's another one. Yeah. So, but to see, you know, IndyCar, as I, I, that's another great one, right? Circuit Gilles Villeneuve, some IndyCar support races there. That would be awesome. Yeah. But I, I love that, that idea. And I think that Roger Penske in the U.S., who is... Mm-hmm. Um, he's not the owner of IndyCar at the moment. He's uh, owner of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, if that's correct. Yep. Yes. Indianapolis Motor Speedway owner. He's done quite a bit of work since he's taken over that ownership, and I think he, there's a lot more to come. And he has a team in IndyCar, a team in Aussie, um, Aussie V8s, and a team in NASCAR as well. I mean, there is someone who I would think, I'm surprised, isn't into F1 yet. Um, you know, I, he has the money to do it. I'm, I'm surprised he hasn't tried to make his mark in IndyCar. I thought he would be the American ownership that would go over and, and you know, it wasn't going to be Haas, but yeah. I'd love to see him try to take part in a Formula One as well. But he's a a big name into, into bringing all these things together. And I think Zach Brown's going to play a, a big uh, factor in that as well, just with his connections. Um, it'd be huge. You know, I could really see that happening if there's an American driver on the Formula One grid. Um, it, it doesn't need to happen, but I think he would definitely advance um those talks or, or, or that you know proposition of, of having all three at the same time happening. Yeah. I mean, it, it, almost just thinking about it now, we could do just a separate podcast on 
F1 in North America, motorsport in North America with, uh, yeah. you know, our friend of the show, Tim Haraney, who is obviously yeah. covering all aspects of North American motorsport, IndyCar included, as well as F1. So I Maybe think we that, should work on that. Maybe we can come out with a yeah. little special. Yeah, no, I, I'm going to write it down after maybe just, well, no, I'm going to write it down. I'll, I'll remember. So we're, we're about to wrap up here. And yeah, it could be something just in an off week when there's no races, we'll release the podcast and just maybe a little bit more of a, a direction towards the North American audience that we have out there that we're trying to also reach more people, but also to, to European F1 fans who might not be familiar with some of the great little racing series that we, we talked about regularly on our show because we do get to watch more of them here than I think the European fans do. So yeah, that's I, I think that's a good idea that we'll try, we'll try and do maybe uh, sooner rather than later. I agree. I think that'd be a lot of fun to talk about. And uh, Tim is very knowledgeable with his uh, his North America. Well, he's knowledgeable in racing in general, uh, but he he knows a lot about the uh, the North American side as well. Um, so yeah, that'd be awesome. Be great friend of the show and a good guy to talk with. If you haven't checked out our last podcast with him, it's a lot of fun. We had I think that's our most fun podcast we've ever had um, <laughs> to record. So. Yeah, go check that one out. It's a, but I think it was about this time last year. So I mean, some of the news might not be relevant, uh, but it, it was a lot of fun to to you know do, and, and I'm sure it'd be a lot of fun to listen to as well. Yeah, for sure. So we might get that going in the works, and we'll let you guys know uh, when when it's happening or if it's not happening. But Tim is always great with his time, and and he's been very generous and friendly with us. So we appreciate that. And we appreciate you guys as well. If you've gotten this far into the podcast, thank you very much for listening. This was a pretty extensive one, but I actually did enjoy waiting a couple of extra days just to be able to digest the race mm-hmm. a little bit more. And I think it also helps to kind of get the emotions out of the way for you know whoever agrees on one side or the other and just try and look at things objectively. So I, I did enjoy it from, from that perspective. So anything, uh, final thoughts from you, Tyler? No, that's it. Uh, like I said, Russia usually doesn't give us the greatest race, but it's definitely going to be uh, drama-filled, I think, uh, coming out, and it's going to be a must-watch just to see what happens uh, between the championship rivals. Yeah, it always is. It's been a great story so far in 2021, and our channel is a must-watch if you want to continue coverage on the 2021 F1 season. Of course, if you haven't seen some of our earlier videos that we did uh, in this week and the past week, they're all available on our YouTube channel, and then past podcast episodes like the one Tyler mentioned with Tim Haraney is also available on our podcast library. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, any podcast app out there, you'll find us, the Backmarkers F1 Show. We're also on social media at TBMF1 Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always reach out to us there, and it's just a good place to keep up to date with news on content and just our general thoughts on things that happen throughout the week. So that'll do it for episode 115. We really appreciate the support. Give us a like on YouTube if you're watching the video, and also give our podcast a good rating on any of the apps that you're listening on. For Tyler McDonald, I've been Chris Cato for this episode. We really hope you guys have a good rest of the week, and we'll see you for the Russian Grand Prix. Until then, bye for now.